You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the View from the Gladys Street, a podcast by the fans for the fans, as we go on the terraces to discuss all the big talking points at Everton Football Club. It is the Everton Fan Show. It is the View from the Gladys Street podcast. It is the Royal Blue Channel. We are back, and I am your host, Ian Kroll. Everton stopped the rot with a win against Fulham at the weekend, a win desperately needed by Carlo Ancelotti's men. With me to this this week to discuss all things Everton, we have the return to the podcast of Connor Bennett. How are you, Connor? You're all good? Yeah, sound, sound. Good, good. You sound enthralled to be on the podcast this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, listen. Um, we also have the return to the podcast of former regular and now host of the Blue Rooms Monday show. It is Ben Crawford. How are things, Ben? Not bad, mate. Yourself? Yeah, all good, mate. Not bad. Uh, glad we got a win at the weekend, obviously. As I said, they're stopping the rot. Uh, looking forward to Leeds on Saturday. Um, our five kickoff, so it's uh, something to look forward to the weekend, hopefully, as we uh, head out of lockdown, certainly in, in this area anyway. But yeah, today's agenda, um, we will talk about the uh, Fulham win. Um, and we also will... Look ahead to the Leeds half-five game. We'll also talk about individual performances from the weekend, the likes of Richarlison, Awobi, Rodriguez and Decore. So plenty to get through on this week's show. If we have time, and of course we will make time, we'll also talk about the January transfer window, a potential business we could do there as Carlo Angelotti has been quoted as talking about the January transfer window this week as well as an interesting dynamic developing between Jordan Pickford and Robin Olsen. So lads, let's dive right into it. I want to start off with a positive and I want to finish on a positive. Ben, we'll, we'll go with you first. The first positive from Sunday, obviously the win, but the return of Richarlison. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he was fantastic from the first minute until the end of the game, really. I think it didn't really give us much time. Uh, in the games for him to get settled he didn't need that he just got straight into it and set up a goal within about 45 seconds which is you know a testament to the player that that's not really a surprise I think if he was a player that we maybe didn't think we'd miss as much now that we've got the likes of Hammers and Calvert-Loons turned into like you know prime Gary Lineker we've certainly been reminded of his abs- uh, in his absence for the three games how important he is to this team I think the work he does off the ball is just as important as the work on the ball. And he just gives defences, for me, a, another headache. You know, I think if you've got a team that lines up with him, Calvert-Loon and James Rodriguez in your front line, that's a lot to cope with. And I think when one of them is missing, especially Richarlison's energy, I think it gives other teams a real to sort of set, set the stall out and really sort of man-mark the other two out the game. But when you've got a three-pronged attack, I think like we saw on Saturday with those three, with Richarlison, probably the most important of those. It'll cause any team problems and regardless of whatever defensive issues that I'm sure we'll go on to discuss, you know, lie within the squad. It's good to see that going forward, we look absolutely mustard, basically. 
I mean, Connor, we expected with Richarlison coming back that he would have some sort of an impact, but to to have an impact that quick, obviously with the assist, it was it was very very pleasing to see, wasn't it? Yeah, but that's the way he plays, and he sets the tempo going forward. He is our presser from the front. He's a nightmare for defenders to deal with because he, he's relent, he's relentless. At the end of the day, um, he should have had a few goals as well. That's not like he, he was he was on fire. Like he really nightmare. And then as I can only echo what Ben said there, when the three of them are playing together in tandem, it's it, it's pick your poison who you're gonna mark this week. Because Hamas will cut you open, Richie will run at you, and DCL is becoming a nightmare to defend inside the 18 yard box. So it's 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 nice to have all three back. I've, um, I'd rather have Richie maybe than all as the most important of the three. He just sets the like all I can keep saying is he sets the tempo, and he just I don't think there's a player quite like him outside the top four. I don't think there's anyone sort of on his level. That does what he does, and it's, he's he's just an absolute key cog for us at the minute. I mean, Ben, staying staying with Richarlison, it, you kind of touched upon it anyway, but it it obviously does give defenders, or he does give defenders something more to, to think about. And in a way, you know, if he's not on the pitch, they probably step forward at least, you know, an extra five or ten yards. Don't they push on to to our midfield and and don't give us room to manoeuvre? But with him on the pitch. You just know that he's a threat, so they have to probably step at least, you know, ten yards back, and that gives us room to manoeuvre and obviously chances to opportunity, should I say, to to get the ball into into the box into Dominic Carvalhoen, and that's exactly what happened against Fulham. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I think one of the other things regarding that sort of attacking front three that we've got now, I think it's going to be very interesting. Although I don't want it to happen anytime soon, I think it's going to be very interesting if maybe we lose Calvert-Lewin or James for a similar length of time. Because you look at, I hate the comparison, but you look at Liverpool's front three, that front three works so well as an attacking trio that you lose one of them. doesn't matter which one, really. You lose one of them and the whole thing kind of falls apart. A bit like I was alluding to earlier, where it makes other teams have a much easier job of marking the other two out the game. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see. It'll highlight just how important Richarlison is out of those three if we're missing one of the others and we still keep up the form because our form just fell off a cliff the second he got banned for three games and I think like again I can only echo what Connor said then it's setting the tempo starting the press you know he's the most physical of the three of them definitely the quickest out of the three of them give or take Calvert-Lewin and I just think the whole blend of the front three at the moment really seems to work and at the moment, he looks like the most important cog in that machine. But it will be interesting, I think, to see if we lose either of the other two to see how the team sets up when we have Richarlison, but we're missing maybe one of the other. Because I just think the blend of the three of them at the moment is what's causing teams such difficulty to defend against. I think you'd only have to look at when Liverpool lost money for that Aston Villa game. They got beat 7-2. Exactly. So I just wanted to get that in there, to be fair. <laughs> it, it, it was kind of what, seven relevant. 7-2, but... Ian? 7-2. It was relevant, but... It... Irrelevant as well. So, <laughs> um, Connor, is it then a concern that we're gonna now, or we, we seemingly now rely heavily on Richarlison? You know, we lost three games um, without him without him in the team, and he's yeah. come back in, and he's you know he's not just he's had a, well he's had a, a massive impact on on the result really. Yeah, well as we've seen with the three games he missed, like he is 
the key cog for us so vital. I think we were, do we oh do we have an over reliance on him? Um, probably that's the stats say we don't win without him. I think there's players in the squad who could probably step up and mimic what he does, but no one is in the same exact mold as Amadi. Like there's no one that plays like him in our squad, so it, it's it's a difficult one. I I don't want to say we'll rely on him too much, but we probably will, won't we, at the end of the day? Because as we've seen, we don't win without him. And unless, as we'll probably get to in the future, we can pick up a player sort of, obviously not of his calibre, but not too far behind, and he can sort of weave themselves in when he's un- unavailable, that would probably help. But I can't really pick on someone who, who would be able to step into that. So it, it's weird because the best teams don't have an over-reliance on players. They spread the love around City. Do it, Liverpool do it, um, United are starting to do it, sort of thing. Chelsea have always did it in the past, so you do need a blend. But I think if we can keep this squad like moving forward and keep going upwards rather than backwards and sideways, like we were doing in seasons past, we'll probably be fine. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because just on the last point on Michalson, and I'll stick here with stick with you, Connor, on this. We don't necessarily rely on his goals because he's not no, no. an actual goal machine, it's, it is just his impact and his work rate and everything else um, yeah, yeah, it, it, that he brings I, to the team. Yeah, his, his attitude, he's the one that sets the tempo, as we keep saying. He, he, he drives his 10 yards further forward. He is a nightmare for defenders. He runs at them, he doesn't stop. He gets back, he tracks back. And as I keep saying, we don't have anyone like that and there's not really anyone else in our position as a player like that, so it's a benefit. But we don't want to over-rely on him, on him, certainly. But, as you say, we don't rely on him for goals. He get, what did he get, 12 last season? Which is a good amount, but um, like DCL stepped up in that regard. Absolutely. And my next point was on Dominic Carbett-Lewin. So, uh, Ben, just sticking with the individual performances theme um, at the start of the podcast. Um, the the one-touch striker, um, Carlo Angelotti, kind of coined him in the BBC's pre-match build-up. I don't, I don't know if you've seen that. And lo and behold, he basically scored two goals with, with one touch. Um, is he is he becoming a, an out-and-out striker now? Because he, he obviously still got a lot more to his game. I mean, his, his hold-up play um, against Fulham and then throughout the season has been tremendous. His, his physical um, physical shape and, and you know physicality is, is tremendous. But he doesn't necessarily need to be doing too much just getting in those right areas and, and nodding them in or, you know, kicking them in, basically. Yeah, and I think uh, Dominic Carver-Loon's uh, definitely guilty of making me, happy, in a good way, making me look very, very silly for my comments on him in the past. I know, obviously, in when I started doing the View from the Gladys podcast last year, I think August last year was when I first did my show, and I think even on that first show, you asked me about Dominic Calvert-Lewin and I, I kept the same opinion of him until about January, February, saying that he just he does everything else right, but he doesn't score enough goals. He's not selfish enough in front of goal. And he's completely shut me up in that regard. He's gone from, you know, a willing runner and an energetic forward into basically sort of the, you know, Inzaghi incarnate. Basically, he's transformed himself into one of the most deadly strikers, I'd say, in the league. It's certainly maybe even Europe at the moment. And, you know, again... The old sort of reservations I had about him does make me temper the expectations a little bit because we do need to still make sure that this is this isn't a purple patch. You know, I know he's on a brilliant run at the moment, but he did have that 
record, you know, in the project restart where he didn't score a single goal. And we've seen him go on drought in the past. Now, there's no signs at all to show that that's a problem this time. But we have, that's the only reservation I'd have with Calvert-Lewin. needs to prove that he can manage this consistently over at least a sort of nine to 12 month period. And that, that's, that's going to be key for him. But in terms of his current contribution and how his season's going so far, he's just been absolute top quality. And he's uh, certainly uh, silenced some of the doubters. And I can confess that I was certainly one of them. I mean, Connor, I don't want to take anything away from Calvert-Lewin by any means, but does a lot of the a lot of his success is his down to Angelotti and the way he's been managed. And we don't know what's been said behind closed doors, but certainly some of the advice that he's been given by Angelotti behind closed doors. Yeah, and I think also that kind of extends to uh, Duncan Ferguson as well, because as you remember, that Chelsea game where Ferguson took charge, he was absolutely unbelievable, weren't he? Like, he started to show that he could score them scrappy goals inside the like was it the twelve yard box like that sort of area between the penalty spot and the goal where he was he's become very lethal and when Ancelotti obviously took charge properly he started scoring them goals like Newcastle was falling his run to the six yard box and tapping it in. Um I think he had a similar one against uh Southampton maybe. So he he, he is starting to become a, an absolutely deadly striker and as uh, ben says there, I certainly had my doubts at one point whether he was going to be uh, an, a, a key striker for us, whether he was just going to be a, like a bit power player. But I think he said something was either today or the other day where uh, like the pressure's come off him now as well with no fans. He's been able to play his game freely and now he's got his head round that. He just focuses on scoring, which is what you want. And it's a change of mentality that's been certainly needed at the club. Like, Let's just do our job and not focus on any outside noise. And he, he is it a purple patch for him? Maybe, but I do believe the way he's scoring that it's not really like difficult for. He's not finding it difficult. There's no scruffy finishes and pretty much like anymore. Like they're all good goals. Even the one against Fulham that was offside um, yeah. from a Warby. It was a brilliant finish. I, I absolutely just we no can left foot as well. No one was stopping it. Like it was just in that far corner, out the way of the keeper. So I think if he he, he can just carry on, and if he gets a bit more support around him, where we're not relying on him for a goal every game, like even a bench, like someone off the bench as a striker, um, in January, I think that'd be perfect for him. Because there will be a, there will come a time where he hits that brick wall of like I've done too much here and my legs are gone a bit. I need a break. So I think at that point we'll start to see where he is, but. There was a stat the other day that like he's now two goals behind his total for all of last season through eleven games this season, whatever we played in all comps, which is absolutely mind blowing to me. No, yeah, it's, uh, he's had a tremendous start, absolutely, hasn't he? And moving on then to a I want to talk about a because what was that performance on um, <laughs> on Sunday for for a It was a uh, I, I can't really d- describe it, you know, playing right wing back, you know, a position that he doesn't play in, Ben. Um, will the real Alex Iwobi please, you know, stand up and just carry on? Because that was certainly in the first half, I know uh, a lot could be said over the second half, but I think that could be said for, for everyone. But what a tremendous performance. He, as much as Richarlison, had a major impact on that game. I love it when, I love it when managers find new position for players like that. It's just a real sort of 
pet thing of mine where I just like it. You know, it likens me back to when Conte went to Chelsea and he transformed Victor Moses into like a right wing back. And I thought that was the best thing that happened to his career. And okay, it's early days, but who knows if that could be the best thing that happened to Alex Iwobi's career as well. I mean, I think one thing that did help him was playing in that role. Obviously, he didn't actually have that much defending to do in certain stages. He was just there back as an extra body. But going forward, playing in that position gives him the real sort of in uh, oversight to attack attack the play from deep and he doesn't have a natural player marking him either. Obviously when we've seen him off the right, off the left, you know, as a forward or a winger, you've always got a full back and sometimes even another midfielder pushing back to sort of press against them. Whereas it seems to me in this role he was given that extra five, ten yards of freedom that maybe his decision-making needs. I don't think he's the best decision-maker on the ball. I think we can all agree with that. I think sometimes he's given too much time on the ball and holding the ball up doesn't make it any easier for him because he doesn't seem to make quick decisions or have that type of football in brain. So when he receives the ball out wide as a right wing-back, I actually think that really suits him because he's got the whole game in front of him. He can't really hold the ball up and wait for support because he's that deep on the pitch. So by coming in field as well and with the winger ahead of him, it just really gives him the choice to come in, to go in field, go on the outside, but also not have a player just directly marking him because they're more they're then worried about the right winger and James Rodriguez's position. So it was a really really positive performance from Alex Iwobi, but if to obviously to a much much lesser extent, I hope that isn't a bit of a purple patch as well because we've seen him have okay games before. And then when Richardson got injured, I really thought he was going to be one of the players to step up and take take that position on the left-hand side of the front three. And it, it just didn't work. He, he was pretty awful against Southampton. I think he struggled to get back in the team until then. So it'll be interesting as well to see if Coleman's out for an extended period, whether or not Carlo you know, persists with him playing as a right wing-back. Because he's certainly not a right full-back. And I don't think he's a right winger. So somewhere in between seems to get the best out of him. And let's just say long may continue. And I hope he keeps his form up. I mean, kind of, Angelotti clearly has got some faith in him because he, he plays him. Um, and although he has to hold him off a couple of times in the past at, at half-time, he, he definitely gets in, gets in the team. So, you know, Sunday's match, it was... I, I was kind of happy that Awobi was in the team just, just purely for the fact that he was going to play on the right and it meant that James was going to... Who we, we will come on to, by the way, was pushed, pushed into the middle. So, yeah. was it just a case of... A change in, in position for Awobi was it was that literally it, or you know was he was he just having like a a really really good good game like just hit some form? Um, I don't quite know because he's a weird one Awobi where I do think there's a player there, but I've never really seen him as a winger. I think he's more of an inside player. Um, like so I always thought he was going to take Sigurdsson's roles the main number ten because he can tear the ball fullback pretty well. It was a completely different player to what we've seen already, and there was that run for the uh, the 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 was it the third or the second goal? I can't remember. Where he skinned about three players, and I thought, oh, he's gonna lose this, and he just didn't. He kept going, and I don't know if it's been a change of position. I know when he went away on the international duty, he scored twice for um, Nigeria. I don't know if that like sort of boosted his confidence, and he rediscovered that. He's actually not a bad player and he just decided to have a bit of faith in himself. But I do think that Ancelotti's persistence to get him involved will sort of help him as well. If he'll continue as a right wing back, I don't quite know because sort of when Coleman comes back, you can't really 
not play Coleman. The side functions around when he's there. But Awobi, I don't know. He's, he's, he's just such a... I don't want to say an enigma, but he is just an... I did like the fact he proved a lot of doubters wrong because as soon as he comes out on a team sheet, it's just, wow, he's playing he, myself at times, to be honest. But I, I would like to see if he can continue the form before I start picking him up again because he's burnt us a few times in the past, being honest. He definitely seems to be that type of person, never mind player, that who, who likes to be told well done and, you know, confidence, a confidence player. Yeah. Um, I think, like mentioned in Nigeria, did they... They had a, a bit of a iffy result where they were like three or four nil up, and then yeah, he, he ended up drawing or something, didn't he? Four all with Sierra Leone, but he scored his first two goals. I think it was so, he's on fire. I've seen the highlights. Yeah, so personally, you know, you've scored two goals and you think you're going to win, especially when you're, you're four nil up, whatever it was, and then you don't actually win the game. That's you know got to have, leave a bit of a burning desire in in you, whatever you know team you're playing for to to make things right and, and do well. And it kind of felt like he had that burst of energy um, because he has got energy. He has got legs. Yeah. I think it's it's touching on what Ben was saying. He, I can't remember exactly the words that he said, but I, th- I think I said that he's not he's not technically like a headless chicken, but he, when he's got too much time to think of, the, of what to do, that's when he, he flounders and that's where he struggles. Um, whereas Sunday, he, he didn't think about it. He just did it. It was just instinctive, um, and that's quite clearly where he's going to be, you know, a quality, what you are, hopefully a quality player for us. But Ben, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you'd expect someone who was going to play further back down the field to have more time to think about what they're going to do rather than a player who plays further up the field with less time and space, if that makes sense. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that that's a good point as well. I think... The reasoning behind it was just that he purely wasn't marked out of the game. I think if we think back to the Southampton game, that he was so poor and that he got dragged off at half-time. Every time he gets the ball in that position as one of the front three, he's always got somebody marking him because there's no there's no scenario unless it's a counter-attack where you receive the ball as a, as a left winger or a left forward and you haven't got a player to beat. You know, you've always got a player in a full-back or even a centre-back if they're playing three at the back who is on you and forces you to stop with the ball, check back, make a decision, wait for support. By picking the ball up on the right-hand side, of, uh, right-hand side of almost midfield, what I call it, as a wing-back, he knows that the left-hand side, so Adam Olaluchun, is probably going to be behind him. And that's what the three at the back there to cover. So you're looking at the next player in front of him to be the full-back. And unless your full-back's really, really advanced and you're really chasing the game, that fullback's not going to be close to you. So that gives him the time and space to take the ball inside and decide what he's going to do. I think the problem with Iwobi, I think you're dead right there when you say, you know, he's a footballer of instinct. You know, he's, if he's got too much time, that's when problems occur. But I just think giving him that freedom where he does get two or three seconds on the ball without having to stop with the ball is a real benefit to him. For him to keep running and keep running is what he wants to do. The second he has to put his foot on the ball, stop and look for support, that's where it falls apart for me. And that's why I think that current role, whether we persist with it or not, might be best suited to him while he's getting his confidence up. Because until he turns into or develops into that player who can stop the ball, dribble past the man, beat a man for pace or cut the ball back, it's it's gonna be a bit it's gonna be a bit pointless basically. So I'd like I'd like to see him give him more time 
and more chances in the team in that role if if we do stick with that formation because you know like I alluded to earlier I've seen other players in the past a bit like like Victor Moses is a prime example where he's not a player who's got a great football and brain and can beat a man two or three times and whip across to the back post. He's not that kind of player. So you've got to play to your strengths and maybe that's what Carlo's doing by putting him there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it'll be interesting to see how things develop um, certainly over the, 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 the next couple of weeks. But just I don't think he's, he's suited to that number 10 role in, in the mid, middle of the park. I think too much happens in the middle of the park where he shouldn't be around. I think he needs to be kind of this is not like a de- detrimental comment to him, but kind of out the way, like he was against Fulham, doing his damage on on the wing, um, and someone who's got legs and energy. But anyway, moving on to Rodriguez, and I don't really want to um, assess his his individual performance on Sunday and certainly the past couple of weeks because you know he hasn't he hasn't been great. I think if I was gonna um, give him you know a player rating out of ten on on Sunday, I probably would have given him a six. I know he was. Key to a couple, not key, but he was he was a part of a couple of our uh, promising positive attacks and certainly goals. But Connor, is it is it a case of taking the good or the, like the very good with with the bad with Rodriguez, or should we be expecting a, a bit more from him? Because he didn't have a good good, good game really on um, on Sunday, did he? I know he was tired and got taken off, yeah. but he wasn't great. Yeah, no, I've, to be honest, I've put his last few performances down to the fact that he was injured when he against Liverpool, and then he was not only back in the country like two days before Fulham yeah. so it, it's sort of like you've got to take it into context but he has been I don't think he's been poor but he's not been as magic as he was as he like he hasn't been dictating it for us I did, I did think he had a few really nice touches against Fulham where he worked chances for us and it was just sort of looking like that team from the first three or four weeks of the season but yeah at, 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 at times I think we will have to take the rough with this mood because as much as like he's adapting to an early, it, it's he's fitting in with the new system. He sort of hasn't got many players who are on the same wavelength as him, or like time. like he he is still expected to do a whole a whole lot more. And it, again, I thought on on from Friday on Sunday, as well as a Wolby played, I thought Hammers misses. Um, Coleman quite a bit because it does give him that freedom to just basically stand on the right wing and do whatever he wants and as we've seen early on Coleman gets beyond them and helps out so it's sort of like he's got another option to it whereas Awobi didn't really sort of get round the outside of him he sort of dribbled near about to him so I, I, it's one of them our system has to fit oh yeah our system has to work for him he's not gonna sort of um be told right we're playing so and so this week and do do this he 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 has to be the player who we, we rely on every week to create stuff because there's no one else who's going to do it for us I, I think now that he's got to breathe a bit before this Leeds game I do think he'll bounce back and look a bit more like the player we've seen early on this season but I'm sort of not going to start writing him he is still a really brilliant player at the end of the day no, yeah, absolutely. I think when I, when I say the good with the bad, when I say bad, I, I just meant in terms of probably his, his work rate and, and his track and back, which is a point that we touched upon in the last couple of podcasts where I didn't want him to play on the on the right, even though oh, he's no, effective no. going yeah, yeah. forward. I wanted him to be in the middle of the park where, OK, you still have to have a bit of a high work rate and, and a press, but you know, you're not necessarily having to, to chase back in the middle of the park because you know you've got the likes of the Corey who I thought yeah, yeah. flourished uh, to be honest on Friday on a Friday you got me saying Friday now. 
<laughs> uh, who I thought had a really good game, obviously scoring a goal against Fulham as well. But um, yeah, I mean, Ben, the, the, Tom Davis came on. Um, he did really well, didn't he? So just the same question, really, what, what I asked Connor. Should we expect more or is it just a case of we need to find his, his actual perfect position for us where he can do most damage when he's got over the ball rather than having to, to you know, chase back and, and exert energy that he doesn't need to be exerting at the end of the day? Yeah, to be honest, I have to say, you know, I think you've been a little bit harsh on his performance at the weekend. I think second half he tired, but... I thought, you know, generally the whole team was pretty damn poor in the second half. We were holding on and, you know, I would question the decision to sort of sit back on you know, even a two-goal lead with this current side that we've got. But, you know, it simply comes down to the fact that for me, without James Rodriguez on the football pitch, we don't score those two goals. I think it's been really understated this week when Everton fans have debated his contributions. That, that It just simply doesn't happen. Neither of them do, obviously. You know, I've, sp- I've spoken to people who've seen him all his career from Colombia, and they've always said he makes the easy stuff. So like, he makes all the decisions look easy and it looks very basic. But even getting the ball in the middle of the sort of in the middle of the pitch at the weekend, playing an outside of the foot pass to Luca Dean, it's the weight and the direction of the pass that creates that chance. And I, I, I he wasn't fantastic, but I think that goes to show what kind of player he is. I think he's basically what we hoped Gilfie Sigurdsson would be, but he's fallen way short of that. He's ne- he was never going to be a player for me who roared around the football pitch or made an impact off the ball or track back. He's a player who's in the team to just you know sparkle and show a bit of magic now and again. And if he does that two or three times a game, that that's all you can expect of him. Really, I think you can only you know we score two goals as a result for me of his play. That's his job done then, and I know it's it's never acceptable for players not to track back and things like that. But for me, just having that magic, if that's him having an off day, I still creates or he's still involved, you know, with two pre assists as the as they like to call them, that's good enough for me. But when you say Tom Davis there, I actually was surprised at that one as well because I thought Tom Davis uh, looked energetic when he came on. He seemed to break up the play a little bit, but it just it still doesn't really impress me with Tom Davis. I mean, he basically came on and did the job that he was supposed to do and he did it well. And I think it really helped him, the fact that Sigurdsson was the contrast there because he was pretty awful. when he, came on, he he was given the same kind of instructions, the same kind of role, and he did nothing but give the ball away, whereas Tom Davis kept the ball. So, unfortunately, as much as we all like Tom Davis, I, I can't say the jury's really still out on him for me. I think for him to come on and do the basics and do his job is what you'd expect from any player in that kind of scenario. I still want to see more from him and... You know, but if he's going to turn into that player who can come on shore a game up, then maybe that that's just his role. I mean, I felt like it when Sigurdsson came on for Richarlison, wasn't it? I just felt like we completely. I mean, we weren't playing great before that anyway, but we completely lost our outlet. You know, when we managed yeah. to win the ball back in defence and it was getting low forward, it was just coming straight back. So that was frustrating. And again, you know, I'm not going to go into too much, but Sigurdsson frustration, Sigurdsson frustrations of uh, you know. Come, come to the fore once again, but forget Sigurdsson. Um, it, it was obviously the right decision, wasn't it, to um, to bring Tom Davis on? No, never did you think you'd hear someone say that. Tom Davis coming on for James Rodriguez is, is the right decision at the time. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's been a it's been a regular sub, hasn't it? It's happened in a few games now. It makes me laugh every time because people laugh about it on Twitter, but it's happened a few games now when he comes on for them. Yeah, I think initially, you know, when it first happens and you see Davis getting ready on the touchline, you, you get that dread. You think, oh, God, what's he doing? And then you realise, 
oh yeah, this is this is the right decision. This is the right sub to make because we know Jane uh, Rodriguez is spent and Davis is going to be the one, you know, running after and chasing the ball and and you know snapping at those heels to get to get the ball back, which is exactly what he's he's probably perfect at doing. Um, quick, finally, then just quickly, we'll um, on the in on the last individual performance. I just want to talk about Takore because I think he's. I think a lot of Everton fans. This is just my perception of what Everton fans have thought of him. He's been a little bit hit and miss um, this season. I think mostly I'd say positive, but I think some have, have definitely uh, expected maybe a little bit more. Um, and I think that's basically down to the fact that when, or not not every time, but certainly certainly the games that we've lost, the team's been unbalanced. Um, certainly against Newcastle, uh, certainly against that um, for that result. So, you know, the the Fulham game, we we had a balance in that team. You know, Dean on the left, the wing back, and uh, I will be on the right wing back, as we've discussed as well as you know, Richarlison, um, up you know, kind of up front with Dominic Carver Lewin and Rodriguez behind. So the core, again. It enabled the core to become more of an attack and threat because we had that balance. He, he wasn't thrust into a defensive role where he's having to rush over to the right hand side because basically there's no one on the right hand side or you know the, the right back, full back has been inept at, at the, that uh, that time. Thinking specifically about Southampton and, and stuff, so he got his goal um, against Fulham, the core. And I just thought he was he wasn't my man of the match, but he was definitely in my top three. Uh, ben, what, what have you made at the core overall and uh, were you happy with his performance on, on Sunday? Well, yeah, first of all, I was delighted uh, with his performance, especially because he, he got his first goal. I think with the core, I think he he can be one of them players that goes under the radar a little bit. I think he's a bit of an unsung hero with his defensive duties at the time, but he's not yet for me. I think the frustration that's come from Everton, he's not quite shown me yet that he's got the ability to be that box-to-box midfielder, we thought. He's been very defensive, and maybe that's the system, and maybe that's how he's been deployed. But, you know, instances like on Sunday, when he gets in the box and gets on the end of a cross and scores a goal, that's the sort of decor at Watford that I knew of. I didn't see him as a holding midfielder, where I think he has been deployed at times this season. I saw him as a real, you know, powerful unit that can defend, but get forward as well. And I want to see him getting on the end of more chances like that and scoring more goals, because I think... That's something we've lacked for a long time is goal is goals from midfield, especially from the central areas. And you know, so far so good. If if you were to ask me to rate his season so far out of ten, I'd probably say a seven. I don't think he's been spectacular. Uh, but I think a lot of that's down to the fact that he's been covering, like you say, a lot for the right hand side and he's been helping out for the team more and being a bit unselfish. But I do want to see him getting in the box a little bit more to help Calvert Loon, because he's such a unit that he can be a real handful for defenders. And that's it basically. I want to see the attacking side of the Corey flourish as much as we've seen the defensive side of him flourish. And Connor, I'll come to you last on this, just because am I am I right in thinking you've been a little bit disappointed with the Corey this season, or am I completely wrong on that? <laughs> I think he's gone. Oh, I'm gone. Has he come back? You're on mute. No, nah, no, nah, it just lagged there when Ben was finishing up. It just completely froze up. I don't know what happens. We can't hear you. We are back. Did you hear me question? No, no. I say when it died when Ben was finishing, what are his points? No worries. So I was I came to you last because on this Decore point, just because am I right in thinking that you've been a little bit disappointed with Decore, or am I completely wrong on that? Well, when we did 
podcast earlier this season, I did say I, I thought he was maybe the best of the, like, him and Alan. Was it Palace, maybe? I thought he'd been brilliant, but then in the past few weeks, I have been a bit disappointed with him. I didn't really, in the in the three defeats, I didn't see what he brought to the team. But I think Ben made a great point there, where if we're balanced, he 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 fits it perfectly. But if if we're not balanced, then he he sort of doesn't know what he's doing. I read there's an interview in the Athletic where it said uh, when Ancelotti signed them, it was like I'm, you're not going to play as a ten, but you're not like a, a defensive midfielder either. You like you'll just get around, and I do want to see a lot more of that. And, I think Ben pretty much made the, the best point where he is a box-to-box midfielder. He just needs to sort of come out of his shell and start doing it a bit more. And again, it's another one where we have lack goals in midfield. And you look at him and think he did score a few for Watford, didn't he? Yet something he can chip in with. And I, I would like to see a bit more from him. But uh, disappointed only in them three defeats. But I think the team was all pretty awful, weren't they? Yeah. Um, but obviously we got the win, so that is the the main thing. Um, yeah. All right, well that that finishes off the the points on the individual performances and effectively final word on Fulham. So obviously it's it is November, getting close to the next January transfer window. Almost feels so quick that the last one was uh, in the summer has just come round. So I just really want to bring this up just because Carlo was quoted or he was asked about the January transfer window this week. The View from the Gladys Street podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The View from the Gladys Street podcast. And he's kind of insisted that he's not held any talks with the Everton hierarchy over plans um, and, you know, any discussions are going to have to wait. So his, his quotes are, you know, in this moment, we are focused on our game, on our season, and we want to move forward quickly. Um, so, I mean, January-wise, Ben, you know, just a sort of little uh, fact or stat, depending on how you want to you wanna label it. Since Brands has arrived as director of football, um, the Blues, um, we've only made one, signing in the winter window and that was Jared Branthwaite um, someone who's obviously one for the future it's not someone who's come in and has had an immediate impact on the team so what do we do we need strengthening in January and it, if we think we are going to go for someone what you know what do you think we'll even go for anyone I think that I think every team in the league given the opportunity would like to strengthen I don't think there's any perfect teams out there but I do have a bit of scepticism whether or not Everton will dip into the markets. I can't see it myself. It feels as though they got the majority of their business done and did it well in the summer. But I think it's also interesting, the point you sort of asked me about there with Marcel Brand. He's in the last six months of his contract now. And for my money, as much as he's done good, I can't really think, other than maybe Richarlison, but he was well-known by Silver at the time as well, any signings he's brought in that we thought, wow, where, where did he get them from? We've never heard of them. And they've been a real consistent first-team player. You know, you look at like Bernard and you look at 
Um, Yerimina, another player they got in that summer, and even Andre Gomez to an extent. None of them have turned into absolute superstars with Everton. So you, you've got to wonder whether or not now, with six months on his contract, he's really got to seize the day now and think, I better start signing some good players because my job could be on the line here. And it should be on the line because it is for managers, it is for players, you know, they can leave clubs. I think in terms of the January market, as much as I don't think that they'll do any business, that doesn't mean, say, I don't want them to. I'd love them to try and make a good long-term go of sorting out the right-hand side because I think that's where we really are weakest. I think a right-back, it's a lot, you know, nothing wrong with James Coleman at the moment, but he's picking a few injuries up. We need a long-term successor because it obviously doesn't fancy John Joe Kenny. And I think a right winger. I know we've always alluded to this sort of left-footed right winger that we've, you know, mysteriously always always been after and longing for. But obviously, James has come in. I would like a bit like you've alluded to, Ian. I'd like to see him play a little bit more centrally. I think if he, something happens to him, injury or suspension-wise, touch one, it doesn't. We're very, very light on that right-hand side of players who naturally play there. And I would love us to go out there and get an, a, a, a really top right winger because then you're just looking at our attacking options and you're just thinking no matter who we lose, even if it's Richardson, we, we can fit straight in and we've got a you know, world-class front three or four, whatever you want to call it. So a couple of players I would personally go for, I saw him yesterday play for Bournemouth. David Brooks is a right, obviously the right winger at Bournemouth. He's left-footed. He looks like he's ready for the Premier League. He looks like, well, he is ready for the Premier League. He looks like he's ready to come back to the Premier League. I'd really like to see us go for someone like him or maybe even Leon Bailey over at Leverkusen. Just someone a bit more exciting because I always think we're good seasons and we're having a decent season so far. It's always about building on that momentum and getting a first-team player in in January. You might not come in and start every single game straight away, but gives us that extra di- sort of dynamism and gives us that extra option going forward. I think that's worth its weight in gold, to be honest with you. And I really think Marcel Brands needs to pull a rabbit out of the hat to save his job. I mean... Connor, I think Ben probably does make an interesting point there about about Brands. I think that you know he's um, he certainly hasn't come up with any major hidden gems um, yeah. as of yet that you know have taken us by by storm. And you know, obviously, I think he's Ben mentioned Richardson, but he wasn't really a hidden gem. He was he was there, and we paid fifty million pounds for him. Um, you could you could argue that he's had some hits in the transfer window, and he's he's certainly had some some misses. So. Um, do you think Brand sees this as a as a big window for himself now, just just based on on Ben's comments, or do you think you know his, his contract's going to be extended, and it's probably better that that is the case for stability with and relationship with with Angelotti? Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be a massive window because as you've already pointed out, like it's a really weird window to deal with in a January, like. I think a lot of stock goes into it. I never liked the January window. It's just sort of there. It's good if your team needs like an emergency sign, but that's pretty much it, I think. And it, I remember before he joined, everyone was saying, "Oh, he won't move in January. He doesn't like it. it it's it. He doesn't. He doesn't really want to deal with it, and it's more focused on the summer, which is nice. But I think it will. How big the window is for us will depend on what happens between now and then. I think in terms of his contract situation, now he's being linked elsewhere at the minute. And, I don't know if that's a bit of agent pressure to get Everton to move on and not get rid of him, you know what I mean? He, stability is what we've been lacking. It's not sort of, we need to get rid of him now because we did that with Steve Walsh. It was like, oh, Brands is the next one to save what's happened there, so let's get Brands. And then who are we going to look at then if we get rid of Brands to replace him? And it it, it, it would stink a short-termism for me. And I'd just, I'd just keep hold of him and... He's already got a place on the board, so I, I, I feel like that's going to weigh into it a bit heavy, and they're going to say, well, 
we've started to turn the youth system around with um I think John Eberle's got now a, a big job there with like either youth development or, or some similar title. Also, I do think they'll probably keep him in maybe another two or three years for a pathway to just sort of he can turn everything around and forge a bit a, a bigger and better relationship with Ancelotti. Read Ben, just finally on this point, then we we know how hard it is to, to get a, a really good player in January because we know most of the time it's, it's desperation stakes, but. Is it fair comment to suggest if Everton are coming well in the league, you know, close to Champions League positions, still in the cups? Think of more the League Cup. Obviously, you know, got United at the end of December. If you know, we're still in that competition with a potential semi-final and anything after that, you know, a final that we should capitalise on on this opportunity by spending. Not necessarily massive money or big money, but you know, substantial on a quality player that would get us, you know, or push us over that line for a potential European place or even win as a trophy. And I'm thinking, to be specific, more along the lines of positions where we are short. So I'm not just saying let's go out and buy and sign a player just for the sake of it because we've got money or we need to, but I'm saying the places and the positions where we're short. And we know that is, um, you could say goalkeeper with Pickford, but obviously we've got um, we've got Olsen in that. So certainly the right the right hand side of our defence and midfield, and maybe you could even make case for a striker because we know Tosin's not up to the scratch. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think a striker must be near top of the priority list, like you say there. But I always think January it's not an easy market. It's not. A market ideally teams would love to do business in, but it's an opportunity. And what better opportunity to improve a team than when they're flying? So, for example, if we find ourselves, you know, in the semi final of the League Cup and in the top six, you know, what an opportunity that is to build on. And you're much better building on something that's working than getting to the summer and having to rebuild all over again for me. And there's, there are players out there, you know, I've mentioned David Brooks, I think uh, Ismail Saar from Watford's another one we I'd love us to, to have a look at. And I think that, you know, it just seemed like a real missed opportunity if we don't, if you know, that's if we're in the mix, you know, don't wrong, if we lose every game until then we're out to the cup and we're about 14th in the league, then I could understand them keeping their powder dry and just making do. But, you know, ultimately, you know, teams in this window, some teams will make excuses. The other teams will be the ones that win trophies. And that, and that's where it ends for me. You know, if we can find and identify the players that will improve us, even in the short to mid-term, you know, if that's the difference at the end of the season between finishing seventh and sixth, that is worth a lot more money and a lot more success than just saying, oh, we'll wait till the summer. Next summer, you know, we don't know what's out. We'll see. Players are another year older. Other players might lead the club. You know, like Richarlison, who we've, we've cited in the squad, a perfect example of what I'm about to say. Richarlison's a player who I think most Evertonians will be 80% sure is probably going to leave next summer, barring us qualifying for the Champions League. It's unfortunate, but it's basically, let's face it, he's going to go for over 100 million, probably Barcelona, and we're going to have the job of replacing him. Now, what better way to replace him than having somebody already in the squad who can push him now? You know, and what I'm saying by that is as well, we buy a player in January to improve our attacking options. We've got them and Richarlison. We wait till the summer, he's replacing Richarlison. And that's where you lose one player through injury or suspension. It doesn't affect the team as much. You can keep pushing forward. So for me, it's a real opportunity. And as much as it's a difficult market, and I do stress that I understand that, 
it's a real opportunity. And unfortunately, if we miss that, these kind of opportunities with the position we're in, that could be the difference between success and failure. Okay, so interesting debate and a couple of points on January transfer window there. Um, next next part of the, the podcast, I just, just want to touch on the Jordan Pickford and Robin Olsen dynamic, which I've probably just completely read too much into. And you can, you guys, I just want to get your opinion so you can shoot me down completely uh, on it. But, you know, things seem to have slightly died down with Pickford a little bit. Um, you could probably say that he, he couldn't have done much to prevent Fulham's goals, you know, he didn't do anything spectacular. He didn't do anything bad. Um, but Robert, Robert, uh, Robin Olsen, sorry, has this week been quoted in the media um, and suggested that there is a plan for him at Everton. Um, his exact quote is, there is a plan. I had a good chat with him after I signed. It takes time to move to a new country and get to a new club. Um, so Connor, you know, he's, he's just having an interview. You know, he's, he's been asked the question, so he's, He's just probably telling telling how it is, but is it a little bit of mind games from Olsen to pile a little bit more pressure on? You know, kind of, yeah, we've got a plan. Don't worry. Kind of like, I'm going to be in the team soon. That's how I read it. How do you read it? Um, I didn't read it. Um, you're telling me about it now for the first time. Um, <laughs> I can assure you, it's a quote. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. I trust you. It, it, it's such a vague word, the way him please like he's probably had a sit down meeting and Ancelotti's he's probably gone there'll be a chance where it comes uh, it'll be a, a time where a chance comes for you in the next few weeks and you can take it sort of maybe looking forward to the fa cup if if, if, he's, if anything because the league cup's maybe a bit too far gone now for him to um to dive right in for the quarter final um it was a weird one when we signed him I, i've never sort of taken to also i remember when he was playing for roma and he come off the back of a good tournament for Sweden. I never really saw it with him. And then I was like, mm, why have we got him? But that Newcastle game, I think he, he set out to store well. He looks solid. And I think he could replace Pickford if need be. But I don't know if there's going to be this big sweeping change where he Pickford goes out one week and never regains the, the glove sort of thing. I think it'll be him. And then Olsen will get a chance sprinkled here and there, depending on how Pickford's performing. I, I, I can't really see where he's going to dislodge Pickford on a permanent basis, if you get me. Yeah, I mean, Ben, is it man games or am I just shamelessly trying to get some controversy for the podcast? Is that, is that all it is? <laughs> I think, well, to be fair, I'm not sure whether it's quite mind games, but it's basically, I think it's just justifying to a lot of the national press and wherever, obviously in the press in Sweden. I think it's a lot of justifying that he's doing because a lot of people will probably turn round from his own country and say, well, you're the Sweden's number one. How come you go to Everton to sit on the bench? So I think there's just a bit of justification for the move, to be fair. I'm, I'm, I've no doubt that Ancelotti has spoken to him when he signed about him maybe, you know, being a real impact on the squad this season. But for me, Robin Olsen should be starting games for Everton based on what opportunities he's been given. Obviously, I'm not a big Pickford fan, but I'm not going to sit here and be unjustified in my points either. The fact is, Robin Olsen, for rightly or wrongly, was given a chance in the team against Newcastle away. For me, he took that chance. So, if any other position on the football field, a player goes in and takes the chance to keep the space for the next game. So, I think it was quite wrong of Ancelotti to, you know, in advance promise that Pickford was coming back into the team. You know, and that, that was something that I really found really strange. Because Robin Olsen, for me, don't get me wrong, he could have played the game since then and been awful, which gives Pickford the right to go back in the team. But if he plays... 
has a decent game and a comfortable game and then gets dropped after it. That that tells me a lot about Robin Olsen and how much the manager does actually rate him. Because for me, Pickford's form has been patchy, to say the least, although he wasn't a fault against Fulham. And, you know, Robin Olsen, he has been given a chance. For me, he took it. So I don't understand really what he's done to not get in the team after because it should be... Every team selection should be based on merit, and it doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like meritocracy. It looks like uh, something a little bit different at Everton at the moment. If Pickford's still getting the nod, yeah, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Um, I think I was just trying to create a bit of controversy there and just just see what see what you thought. But... Oh, it was all mind games, Ian. It was all mind games, Ian, and that means <laughs> that Pickford's getting sold in January to fund the move for David Brooks. There you go. That's exactly the comment that I wanted from you, Ben. Fair enough. There you go. That, that's my comment. All right, lads. Well, we'll finish the podcast off with um, just talking about Leeds then. Um, obviously, we play them on Saturday, uh, last game in November, R5, which is going to be played at Goodison. Obviously, no fans are going to be there. But, Connor, you know, at least just looking ahead, the next two games are massive, Leeds and Burnley. Um, and December is just such a huge month for, for Everton. It's, it's insane. Um, you know, after Leeds and Burnley, we played Chelsea, Arsenal. Um, obviously, going to be two tough games. United in the cup, then Sheffield United, but then we've got City as well. Um, so, you know, t- games in which against teams that we we probably don't pick a lot of points up. Um, when obviously when I'm talking about the you know the, the big six teams, if if that's what you want to call them, so yeah. p- picking up points against. The likes of Leeds, first of all, and then obviously Burnley, um, is is going to be vital just to just to keep us uh, in touch and distance, isn't it? With the with the top four, if that's going to be our aim for for the season. Yeah, as we've said in the past, they're the sort of games that we've never really won, and we that's where we do ourselves. You know, like you sort of expect to go to City and the places like that and get beaten. You you sort of write that off, but when you do, and like your prediction for the season, like oh, we go to. Burnley will be Burnley. They're not that good. Oh, we'll go to like when Stoke were in the league, we'll beat Stoke and we'll beat Swansea and that. And it just never pans out that way, really. And there are massive games to sort of now start picking points up. I want us to beat Leeds because I work with a Leeds fan and he sort of he's up now because they're back in the league and he's getting cheeky and that. So I'd like to pick up three <laughs> points against them. But um, and I won't hit the I won't hit the end of it if we get beat. So I'd like to, selfishly to do that, but. Yeah, we it's them it's these games where we we always shoot ourselves in the foot, and if we start to win them, I that that to me is the biggest sign of progress. If we beat, if we win these sort of horrible games that we never win, and then we can discount other games during the season, and yeah, we can move forward. I I looked at it the other day, and I think we're uh, Chelsea's around the corner. That's sort of the first big one in it. I think before that though, you've got a a a, lo- a run of games where you look at it and go. Well, they're very winnable, or there's points to be picked up here. There's momentum to be gamed, and it would annoy me to throw a really good start to the season away because of what Everton do in seasons past and carry it on now when we've got players that we haven't. I would just like to see us win games, these games, because it, it it's my biggest pet peeve with Everton. I mean, Ben, we we stopped the rot then against Fulham with a, a formation of a, a three-five-two, if, if or three. You know, well, three, four, one, one. If that's what you want to call it. So, does does Carlos stick with the the same formation for that? You know, same same players. Um, what what would you do? Well, I think he has to stick with that kind of that kind of setup based on the fact that we're against Fulham. I mean, I've got to say though, on just on Leeds, 
I'm absolutely terrified at the prospect of this game on Saturday. I really am, because you know what? I liken when they've spoken about the Fulham game this week to people. I've said it was probably the time when I've least enjoyed an away Premier League win ever because the whole performance was, apart from the 20 minutes spell we had in the first half where we were scintillating, it was just so nervy and it just looked so clumsy and we limped over the line. And I think we're going to play a much better team than Fulham in Leeds. I've been quite impressed with them to come up. And it just terrifies me the way Bielsa sets his team up. They're very in-your-face, high-press and aggressive. And I don't know whether Everton, Alan, Decore, maybe aside, I don't know whether Everton have got the bottle in the fight for that, to be honest. I think it's this is a re- real, real game where we're going to miss having home advantage of the home advantage of the fans, you know, making it a bare pit, a half-five Saturday night game. So I am a little bit worried about Leeds because I think they'll turn up a good and they won't be scared of us and they will go toe-to-toe with us. And I just hope, I think we've got the attacking threat, but I don't know whether we've got the defensive capability to keep them out. With that in mind, I think the formation, a formation change, I don't know whether it's the most suitable because I would like to see us it sounds really negative, but I think the best way to fight this lead team with no crowd, maybe even hit them on the counter. You know, hit play with the five at the back. That's why I, I call it five at the back, because wing-backs to me are still a more defensive setup than an out-and-out winger. So if we're going to stick with the same formation, I think the reason he's doing that is because he's got a real plethora of like really good centre-backs at the moment. Well, good centre-backs at the moment. And we're lacking another age, you know. So if we haven't got a fully fit right back, let's play three centre halves that we have got fully fit and move a player up. And it'd be so interesting to see if he does stick or twist with this form. Because, like I say, we are the favourites going on paper. We should beat Leeds. But, like we've said all along, these are not the games Everton normally win. So it'd be a real breath of fresh air for me for Carlo to turn up, maybe tweak his system slightly and really get one over on this team. And like Connor said, I don't know any Leeds fans myself, but I really don't want them to have the bragging rights come uh, close to play Saturday. I mean, Connor, we, we know how Leeds play. Uh, Ben's just like said it there. You know, they're, they're in your face, they're, they're attacking, they're open. You know, they, they have played some good football this yeah. season from what I've seen. So the fact that they do play quite open, um, is, that, is that beneficial to us? Or, you know, are we better when a team's a bit more structured and we can kind of break them down or because we, we, we are we are good on the counter-attack we have scored goals on the counter-attack so for me personally I'd suggest that this should be a game that we will win based on the way Leeds play their, their style of football Yeah I'm certainly not as terrified as maybe Ben sounded there about playing them Oh mate think? I'm uh, not looking forward to this game at all <laughs> just Saturday night half five kickoff. Jamie Carragher on commentary is just setting ourselves <laughs> up for a fall here, mate. Okay. Ben, we, we know what you're doing. Every time you say <laughs> we're going to get beat, we win. We know what you're doing. It's fine. That, that's it, Ian. You remember, you remember me from last year's podcast then when I'd only ever predicted defeat. I mean, it didn't work because we were awful and the manager got sacked. So uh, I might have to change sacked again, to be fair. But that's just me. That was me. That is the bones inside with the honesty that's look at that Leeds fixture after the basically heart attack football that we saw against Fulham. It just terrifies me the thought of someone playing against us with energy because we've gotten none <laughs> I do yeah. think if the Everton that turned up in the second half against Fulham will have trouble with Leeds in the way they play they are, they are relentless but what I've seen of them so far this season and I will admit it's been very limited because I'm sort of not bothering with the games that aren't us um, there are mistakes there at the back for us to exploit I remember the I think it was Leicester where there was a few balls behind um, one of the full backs and the lad just 
really struggled. And I, I, I can see us doing that with like Richarlison, even Calvert Lewin, if we're going to go back a season or two where you lift the channels and get them. I think um, we should win the game, really, but it, it it's I've lost it now. Like where you said before, where they're so open, there'll be chances, but as we've seen now, we're struggling at the back, and I think it'll come down to what defensive system Ancelotti choose to go, whether they choose to go with a back three or a back two. I, uh, that will be the big thing for me, how, how he sets it up to, to nullify them, but I'm not, certainly not. Like, oh, we'll get beat here, and this is this is a write-off. I, I think we will win the game, but it's, it, it will be a, a test of our character. I mean, Ben, you, you, you say you're terrified, and like you said, we know, we know why you're saying it. We, we know what it is. It's, it's reverse psychology. <laughs> um, but just looking at the table, you know, for all the plaudits that Leeds, Leeds have been given this season, they're, they're still only 14th. Now, that's oh, yeah. probably, that's either two things for me. That's either where they're expected to, to, to be, or they are um, punching above the weight, you know, slightly. Um, you know, 14th, it's, it's not great. It, it's obviously not the worst, but for all the, the good football they played, they're still only 14th and they're not yeah. they're not winning every single game. They, you know, they've lost four already um, and they are conceding goals. So, you know, if it was, you know, a Brighton who were in 16th, you would just be like, well, we, we should be winning this game. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying and I've got to be clear. I mean, despite my last comments, maybe detecting a little bit otherwise I, I don't think I'm not saying in any shape or form the game's a write-off I think we are probably faded to the game and you know we can win the game and we should win the game because we're Everton and we're home to a new promoted side it's purely because of the lead setup on the Fulham game and the Fulham game we've just seen that really has me panicking a bit because we just seemed content you know even when we were only a goal up the last 20 minutes to just camp in our own half and just sort of fight fires and put fires out. But I don't think we've got the players to do that. And the only reason that Leeds in particular, you know, give me sort of, you know, the heebie-jeebie so much is because they're just, they, they play that kind of football, a bit like Liverpool do. They play that kind of football, that pressing football, that makes other teams panic. And other teams are better adapted to that. You know, like I think Connor alluded to Leicester there. Leicester are much more silky better on the ball side. And as I think, and they're a lot cleverer, a lot cuter the way they go about things. We've got real talent in our side going forward, but we're still getting the midfield together and our defence look like floundering a lot of the time. And that's, it just, it's not because I think Leeds, like you say, they're only 14, not because I think Leeds are that good or we're that bad. I just think the two teams as a matchup, it's just, it's not the kind of game for me that suits us, that high energy against us, that high press, that aggression, that doesn't suit us. I think when we get pushed and pressed by teams and it doesn't go our way we don't have the players that maybe a Leicester might have a bit more of who will stand up and take responsibility maybe that'll change now maybe and I hope that I'm completely wrong and that Alan and the Corre really step up and prove me wrong but you know I've got to see the proof of that first and that's the only reason why I'm a little bit more negative about it because I can just see Leeds now looking at Everton exposing the weaknesses a bit like we'll do for Leeds but if it's going to be another game like the Fulham game where we're camped and we're defending a lot of balls into the box, that, that's what panics me a little bit. And I'd like to hope that we've got enough vouchers to control the game a bit more, play the game at our pace and ultimately get the win. But I'm, I'm just sceptical because I like the way Leeds play and I think it might suit them against us. OK, then. Well, Ben, we'll, we'll finish off with predictions and we'll, we'll go for your one first then. Uh, I'll give you two. We'll give you head and heart. Uh, my head says to all, 
Hart says 3-2 Everton. It's going to be a cracking game, I think, regardless. Yeah, definitely going to be an interesting game at half five. Get the, get the babies in. So, uh, Connor, what, um, what are your predictions for the game? Bad luck, I think, to your predictions, but I do feel like we'll win. Uh, Score-wise, I don't know. Gone again. Have I? Ah, sorry. I'll give my prediction very quickly while we just we keep on rolling. I think um I think we're gonna win three one. Three one we're gonna win. Um but we'll go back to you, Connor, if you're there. Are you what was your prediction again? You you said you're not gonna give a score, but you think we'll win. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll add you I think I say I'm not sure on the score, but I do think we'll add you. I think we'll get away with it. Alright, well, I'm taking that as a full house of, uh, full house of <laughs> victories, even even despite what Ben says. I did say two all, technically, just for the record. I did say two all. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Alright, Ben. Alright, well, that's, uh, that's it for this week's show. Many thanks for the listeners out there listening to the show. Connor, thank you for coming on. No worries. Apologies for the technology. No, don't, don't be silly. It was, uh, it was all good. It gave us a bit of a laugh. Um, ben, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. Thanks very much, mate. I apologise for the negativity. No, no, I'm used to it. I'm used to it that by now with all with you. So it's, it's so fine. engraved in what ingrained in what Everton is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll hopefully a uh, a win on the on Saturday, and then we can talk about the Blues again next week. Uh, you've been listening to the View from the Gallery Street podcast on the Royal Blue Channel. You've been listening to the View from the Gladys Street podcast from the Liverpool Echo.